Good morning. Let's get straight to markets. Take a look at the impact for the indices. Factual. Succinct. All you need to know before your trading day starts. Subscribe to our newsletter, CNBC's Daily Open. Hello and welcome to Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the world of tech. I'm Tom Chitty and with me is CNBC's senior tech correspondent, Arjun Karpal. Can China reach Chiptopia? Not a paradise filled with French fries, though that does sound good, but rather a country able to produce its own advanced semiconductors. Despite US sanctions, China are on the path to developing next-generation chips, but Beijing still face major challenges to become self-sufficient in the semiconductor industry. Beyond the Valley. Do you like that intro? Really love that intro, Tom. I, I'm it's a French. Bit, bit partridge. Yeah, it is a little French fries. That that sounds fantastic. What's your what's your condiment of choice? Uh, well, ketchup with, with French fries. With fries, fries yeah. yeah, yeah. For a dip, ketchup. You? Ketchup, mayo, is mayo. It? You're yeah. you're one of those wrong ones. Yeah. No, I mean sometimes. <laughs> <clears throat> I really like mayo and, you know, a spicy sauce, Ooh. like a chilli sauce as well. And then you mix that mix in. together. Yeah. It is a killer combo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. nice. But uh, unfortunately, that's not all we're talking about today. No, it's not. Um, but it's good to be back after a week off. How was your week last week, uh, not, not having Beyond the Valley? Yeah, week was good. It was busy, of mm. course. Lots of tech news. Um, but yeah, there was a lot going on. I'm off to a, a show next week uh, called Mobile World Congress in Barcelona. Biggest mobile industry show in the world. So, uh, been prepping for that. A mm. uh, lot, lot of work. What about you? How was the vacation? Feel rested? Uh, yeah, as you, as you can be with uh, you know a long flight, long haul flight uh, back, and the time difference for three young children. They fell asleep about twenty minutes before we landed back in London, um, which was great. So you know it was just absolute chaos. But um, as you'd expect, there was a bit of uh, you know controversy on the beach as well. Um, my two, four-year-old had uh, her bucket uh and spade stolen no way uh who would do that another parent no yeah you got to the bottom of it <laughs> that's unbelievable so what she, happened she, she she came over to me and she goes my, my bucket my my spade and i was like what and then i looked over and a woman had just grabbed it and and she was playing with her child and i was like and my mother-in-law was obviously up in arms about it so i was like right i better go and Sort it. Usually, I would say, look, you know, it's nice to share your toys, and you know, that that that's fine. But then I see, saw that this uh, lady had uh, brought a tripod, so this was a bit of content creation on the beach. So a sort of mock up of her with her ch- son making a sandcastle. So I was like, right, well, I'll put a put a stop to that. But I brought as a replacement for the bucket a ice bucket. So that she could then, he, you know, her child could build the sandcastle with an ice bucket, you know. Anyway, so I go over and she's like shocked that I've asked for it back. And I said, sorry, you know. Anyway, so I, I said, here's a replacement. You know, this it's, you'll have a bigger sandcastle with that. And uh, so she was like, okay. I walk back and then my daughter goes, but what about the spade? And the eyes welling up. I'm like, oh, God. I go back and I'm like, I'm going to need that spade too. And I literally <laughs> yank it out of this child's hand. It was, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is 
That is a story. It was. That is a story. Um, was this was this lady making content for yeah. for TikTok or I don't know. Instagram it must reels? Must have been something because wow. about ten minutes later, she was posing in her bikini with her child in the background. It was weird. Yeah, it was weird content. But maybe there is a market for that. Maybe. Well, speaking of content, you know, we've started to put snippets of these episodes on on our social channels on on CNBC's TikTok and and, and Instagram reels yeah uh, which is great yeah so people should check that out definitely definitely we've got a lot to catch up on yeah hence the chit chat but these now for those of you only when listening, you say these yeah for those exactly. who are only listening, only listening <laughs> what I am holding in my hand now is a branded Beyond the Valley mug we've just got them out of the box actually that's how new they are and hoping in the coming weeks maybe even next week there may be some opportunities to get your hands on some of this oh. merch so I just want to tee that up as well. Yeah, yeah that's a nice tease. But quite nice. They yeah. have good weight. Yeah, really good, good weight. Good weight, good handle. Um, holds all sorts of liquids, yeah. hot drinks, cold drinks. And a good amount of volume. Not those sort of mini mugs. Yeah. These, are, these can do everything. Yeah, these are exactly. Yeah. Um, it's slick as well. Very slick. <laughs> uh, <yeah. laughs> really sold it there. Yeah. Um, but before we get onto our main story, now that we've got through all of that, yeah. um, we've got to obviously hear your stat of the week. That's right, so I'm start of the week. This week is $349.4 billion. $349.4 billion. Okay. Um, later in the episode, we'll also be discussing crypto with Bitcoin's price on a seemingly unstoppable rise. Um, Elon Musk claimed that his startup Neuralink has developed brain technology, which can now control a computer mouse just by thinking. We'll also talk about Sony, uh, who are going to release a new pro version of the PlayStation 5 as it battles with near-record low profit margins. And finally, how national enforcement agencies from around the world thwarted Lockbit, one of the leading hacking groups that develops ransomware. Sora, as well, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about the uh, new AI tool. Um, I know that sort of was last week, but I think it's worth us talking about uh, later in the episode. But back to our main story, China's biggest chipmaker, SMIC, has been manufacturing advanced chips in the last few months, defying US sanctions. Arjun, we talked about it in previous episodes, but why are microchips or semiconductors so important? Because they're in everything we use, Tom. They are. In, in your smartphone, in your car, even in some home appliances. In your uh, dishwasher. In your dishwasher or washing machine. Um, they're everywhere. And they're crucial because they are key to the running of these electronic devices. Um, they are key... They're the reasons our smartphones are as good as they are um, these days, or one of the key reasons anyway. Um, and of course, there's other applications of a national security kind that many governments are concerned about, and that is the way that they could be used in military applications uh, as well. And so that's why these very, very, very tiny components, electronic components, have become the focal point of geopolitical tension in the world over the last sort of four or five years. In those four or five years... Give us a little summary of kind of what, how we've got to where we are, where US, the US are needing to put sanctions uh, or at least limit the access that China has to tech technology, uh, chip technology, sorry. Yeah, so the context, I guess, for all of this was the Donald Trump presidency. And under that, there was a big shift in tone towards China, uh, where he's, him and his administration saw them in a more adversarial respect. Uh, and that stemmed from things like trade. Um, but it also very much uh, spilled into technology 
and this and what was born was effectively now a new era of competition in technology and what that meant was that some of these technologies that were seen as fundamental as foundational one of those being semiconductors microchips um were sort of thrust into the spotlight and their role and importance in the world uh, was really scrutinized. And what the US effectively came up with was saying, we have a strong position in semiconductors, China doesn't, and if they do, we think that's a risk to us and our national security if China is able to manufacture the most advanced semiconductors because of the way they could be used in more military applications because of the way they could be used with with newer, more advanced AI, artificial intelligence technologies. And so what you've seen under the Trump administration and into the Biden administration is continued use of uh, various uh, sanctions, uh, export restrictions on certain technologies to China focused around uh, semiconductors stemming from this idea that there is this new sort of technology arms race going on. When you talk about export restrictions, we're really getting to the nub of of how the US can sort of curb their access, which is the supply chain, disrupting the supply chain for China to to be able to access you know technology from around the world. That that's the the key to this, right? Yeah, you hit the nail on the head. The the, the I guess complexity of the of the chip supply chain has come under scrutiny. No one country sort of owns chips. Let's put it that way. Put it quite simply. There's various parts of of a chip supply chain, right? From the design of the chip all the way to the to the manufacturing, the actual making of those chips. But in between there, there's loads and loads and loads and loads of different processes and companies and technologies that are involved. So for example, I'm going to simplify this right down, but you know, a company may design a chip. You know, we take a company like Apple. They design their own chips. NVIDIA designed their own chips. You know, our, our, our listeners would know these companies. Um, but they don't actually make the chips. Those chips are then manufactured by various other companies. One of the biggest is Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Company. Um, they are the biggest, most advanced in the world. Samsung is another company that, that manufactures chips. Intel is another company that manufactures chips. But those manufacturers also rely on other tools. They, they rely on the tools required to actually manufacture those chips as well. And the companies such as Apple and NVIDIA, et cetera, that are designing the chips rely on design tools from other companies. Now, these all these various companies in that supply chain are located around the world. Yes, the U.S. has a very strong presence in things like design tools. Um, not as much these days in manufacturing. Asian companies, particularly, as I mentioned, TSMC in Taiwan, Samsung in South Korea, they have a very strong presence in manufacturing those chips. And then you've got companies in South Korea, in Japan, and, and, and in Europe who do everything in between, the tools, uh, the, the machinery, the, the tools required for manufacturing, the design. And so that's the state of play right now in the semiconductor industry. The problem for China is it doesn't at the moment have companies that are strong enough or competitive enough with those companies in US and Europe and Japan, etc. It has its own manufacturer, chip manufacturer called SMIC, Semiconductor Manufacturing International Co. But it is generations behind the likes of TSMC. And we're going to dig into this, of course, in this episode, but TSMC and Samsung. So that's the state of play right now. And so when we talk about export restrictions from the US, it's very much about the US trying to stop American tools, 
technology and the chips themselves getting to China. But it's also you're seeing U.S. exert pressure on countries it sees as allied or, or like-minded to stop their companies from exporting tools to China. And that's the state of play right now. There's also a company called ASML, a Dutch company, which you, I know you want to talk about a little bit more, but how are they sort of central to the the problem that the, all the issues that China may face going forward? Yeah, it's worth just spending a moment on ASM, ASML before we come on to what's sure, happening sure. In, with SMIC in China, because... <laughs> ASML is a Dutch company. They make these things called lithography machines. And these are machines that use light to print patterns on silicon wafers. They're a very key part of the manufacturing um, of chips. Uh, there are two types of machines. Stick with me here uh, because it's a bit jargony, but hopefully break it down. Firstly, there's immersion deep ultraviolet lithography machines, DUV machines. These are slightly older and they're designed for the manufacturing of less advanced chips. And then there's the extreme ultraviolet lithography machines, EUV. They make the most advanced, or they are used to make the most advanced chips uh, on the planet. Um, ASML is the only company in the world that makes these EUV machines. It has effectively, you know, the market for this. Um, now, EUV machines are used by TSMC and others to make chips on, on a scale of, of say, seven, five, three, and eventually two nanometers. Now, this nanometer f figure you'll hear a lot in the chip world effectively refers to, to the size of, of the chips or the number of transistors able to fit on the chips. The smaller the number, the theory goes, the more efficient, uh, energy efficient, the more uh, advanced uh, the chip is. So that's just a very basic breakdown of, of that. So th these EUV machines need to make seven, uh, five, three and eventually two nanometer chips. For context, the latest iPhones, three nanometer chips, just to give you a context. And SMIC have just, or supposed, reportedly developed five nanometers chips. Yes, so they're getting prepared. So getting that's, prepared. So that's, so that's, that's where that's we in go. The pipe, pipeline, right? Yeah, so. So they're still, even though they haven't even confirmed or you know fully completed that, yeah. they're still two nanometers away from what we currently have in our iPhone. Yes, exactly. So, so just on the, the ASML point, um, ASML, under pressure from the US, has never shipped an EUV machine to China. How no. big are these machines, sorry? Just give it a About 200 tons. Um, the wow. size of a city bus. Wow. By one estimate. Yeah, they're big. They're okay. big old things. And they're, <laughs> and they're producing these tiny these little... These tiny little right. things. Well, they're part, part of a process to yeah, produce sure, these, sure. these chips. So, so SMIC has never managed to get its hands on an EUV machine. But they're now, as you mentioned, producing 7 nanometer and potentially this year 5 nanometer chips. And what you're saying is that that shouldn't be possible... Or that would only be possible with one of those machines that ASML have, which has never been shipped. Or there's another so reason. The the latest. So do you remember last year um, we did that episode on um, Huawei yeah. and its new phone, the Mate Seven. The 70, uh, Mate, 60. Mate 60. Yeah, sorry, we're yeah. close. They probably do a 70 soon. <laughs> um, the Mate 60. Mm. And we were talking about the chip in that phone. And, you know, our listeners should go back and listen to that. But we were talking about how it's a 7 nanometer chip produced by SMIC. 
Um, now the Financial Times very recently reporting that SMIC is setting up the five nanometer production line. So yes, the question is how? How are they doing this? Because, but just to really hit the nail yeah. on the head, they would need one of these machines that ASML developed. So many experts thought, yes, they would really need these machines. But what we understand from the, the FT, the Financial Times' report, is what they're doing is repurposing older technologies to produce these chips. That is possible. There's nothing wrong with that. It is possible. The issue that SMIC has, and this, this, is, where, this is what it comes down to, yes, they can produce five nanometers, but... What EUV machines give you is a newer technology and a much more efficient technology. So when SMIC eventually produces these five nanometer chips, if that report you know, does come to pass, um, there's going to be two big issues. One, can they do it profitably? And two, is, is a question of yield. Let me just deal with those separately. Firstly, the FT reported that SMIC had to charge 40 to 50% more for products from its five nanometer and nan sorry, seven nanometer production process than TSMC does at the same nodes. Therefore, it's a much more expensive chip. It's likely no one else is going to buy those outside of China. Um, and so can they produce these profitably uh, to sustain that business? The second part is yield. This is effectively the number of usable chips. Let's say you're baking cookies, mm. right? And you bake 10 cookies, but like six of them burn. You've got a 40% yield, right? Only four of them are good enough to eat. Quite a lot of wastage. A lot of wastage. Same principle with chips. You could, you could produce 100 and only 40 would be usable. That's no good. That's a waste of money and that adds to that profitability picture. But also, uh, it means your, your, pro, your processes aren't efficient, and efficient enough. And I think that's one of the challenges that SMIC might have with using older tech to do this a lot more, more advanced cutting edge chips and that's one of the big problems they're going to face now. Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on CNBC.com. Let's look ahead to the future for China's development of the latest chips that they can, they can create. How do you see this playing out? I think the problem is, and it goes back to the question you asked about supply chain, is the most dominant and advanced companies in the supply chain are not in China, and they're not Chinese. Now, China has been, as a result of US actions, has been pushed to try to find some... some kind of self-sufficiency in the chip landscape. The problem is that their industry right now really hangs on a knife edge because if there are further restrictions in place on the Chinese semi semiconductor industry, that could make that self-development that much harder, uh, maybe that much longer. Now, that's not to say it will never happen, but it's going to take a, a lot of effort uh, from, from the companies, from the industry, to figure out these parts of the puzzle. You know, China doesn't have an ASML equivalent. Um, and, it, it, and so that's a big issue. Um, there are other parts of the supply chain where they're working hard on, but that's going to take some time. And so moving forward, I think the Chinese chip industry is working very hard to try to catch up. But self-sufficiency 
is a very difficult goal to achieve. And I think they're going to struggle in some parts of uh, the supply chain to, to match the quality and the expertise that of, of tools, machinery, whatever it is uh, that they can get from places like Japan, Europe, South Korea, and the US. Just finally, ASML and their, their timeline, how far ahead are they compared to Chinese companies trying to do what they're doing? Like, How long have they been developing this really sort of advanced machinery? Yeah, it's, it's hard to, to quantify because, you know, one of the big issues, of course, with, with a lot of these sensitive industries, particularly in China, is you re it's very hard to find the information, even if there's a Chinese competitor right now on the brink of cracking what ASML does. You know, that's, not, that's something they wouldn't want to publicize mm. just yet. And when they do publicize yeah. something, why are they doing that as well? Exactly. Like any company, what's their motivation to put out that information? Yeah, and you often see some of these, these sort of big breakthroughs, for example, reported first by state media uh, because, and not just sort of homegrown state media in Chinese, but also uh, some of China's state media that writes in English too. Uh, you know, part of that is an outward facing, hey, look, we are making progress. And then the, the, the stuff that's written for the domestic market is, of course, about sort of buoying up support for the industry and for homegrown products uh, as well. Uh, something that Huawei knows really well. It's, it's seen a lot of sort of nationalist support from uh, Chinese consumers to support, you know, the national, what is seen as a national te tech champion there in China. Um, but, you know, ASML is, is a long way ahead. Um, and I think that. OK, um, we'll leave that story there. But for now, let's find out what else is happening in the world of tech. We haven't uh, talked about crypto for a few weeks. Um, looks like the price of Bitcoin has gone through the roof. What do you put it down to? Continue to rally two things. Um, big inflows into those exchange traded funds in the US, which we spoke about in a previous episode, the ETFs. Um, obviously, if there's big demand for ETFs, those issuers of the ETFs need to actually buy the Bitcoin to underlie the ETF. Uh, and because of the big inflows of money into ETFs, uh, that's what's been happening. Buying is taking places. That's helped to support the price. Second big thing, um, again, we spoke about on that episode, the halving. Um, How far away were you? A few, a few months? April. April, yeah. Okay. I think it's slated for, so soon. So April, halving, um, the rewards given to Bitcoin miners slashed in half, reduces supply into the market. Historically, this has preceded bull runs to record highs. So but that's what you're we're, we're nearly at, you know, um, record highs. You know, we're not far off. We're, we're, not, we're not far off before the, the halving. But what we have seen, though, in particularly with the ETF announcements, is that these these rises, these price rises, tend to happen before the actual event. That's what we, we discussed with the ETF, that the price had been already baked in. That's right, yeah. So it's a slightly different scenario, this cycle, I think, because of the ETF. That almost pulled forward mm. some of the price rises that we may have then started to see now. Um, as well. So uh, that's why we're pushing towards those record highs at the moment. I'm um, still a little ways off, but you know, the way Bitcoin moves, um, it could happen any second. Sure. Um, okay, uh, let's talk about Elon Musk. It's been a while since uh, we mentioned him. Um, tell us a little bit about this startup, Neuralink. Um, 
how, how, where's this come from? How long has this company been about? A few years, a few years. Um, but it's sort of been in the background, and now things are really starting to pick. Would you like to control stuff with your mind? Because that's what this startup wants yeah. you to be able to do. Um, yeah. So Neuralink makes this Would little device. <laughs> I think, I'm not sure. I don't want the invasive, uh, you know, surgery in my brain if that's what's required. Well, that's what this, so Neuralink has this device, um, and a robot arm has to, effectively a robot has to insert into your brain because um, you need that precision that the human hand can't give you. Uh, and this device is uh, sort of a, what they call a brain-computer interface. Um, effectively, it, the, the idea is for you to use these neural pulses in your brain, those electrical pulses, uh, and, and to be able to control external devices such as a computer mouse. And that's what currently Elon Musk is claiming. They, in, they gave the first patient this year this device, um, put that in them. Uh, and uh, just this week, Elon Musk said that patient is now able to control a, a computer mouse just by thinking. That is mental. Well, yeah, because it's done with his brain. <laughs> so, that's, but but yes. it is, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's the stuff of sci-fi. It really is. For what it's worth, the, the aims stated by Neuralink are that this is the kind of technology that could do things like bring people's vision back, mm. help people who, you know, can't move or anymore. Or have disabilities. Or, exactly. Or, you know, have, you know, lost limbs in, in wars, for instance. Absolutely. And, and then can't, you know, and if they're able to, you know, have that, that control and that you know independence back then so, so i mean that that's, must be that's amazing thing. if that if that comes to pass and that's the goal and and it's able to be achieved you know um if it's just so you can control your computer for fun mm. you know that's a bit less noble but uh <laughs> no but i think it is that it's it's for example um you know let's imagine you're not able to speak um but you can control a, a computer mouse with your mind Imagine the possibilities for communication mm. for that person who can't speak, mm. right? Yeah. And various other things. So there's so many great things that can happen. But that's where we're at at the moment. That's Elon Musk's claims. You know, there's a long way between these trials, which have been passed, by the way, by the US regulator, which have been allowed. Uh, there's a long way from that to then the actual commercialization of this product. So that could take some time. But it's, it's interesting to see if what Elon Musk says is true. It's, it's a big step. Uh, and there's there's many exciting possibilities, I think, on the back of that. Fascinating. Yeah. Okay. Um, let's also touch on Sony, uh, which are going to release a new pro version of their PlayStation 5. Big news for, for the gaming world? Yeah, so I thought I'd check in. This is according to analysts I've been speaking to. Um, I thought I'd check in with a few of the sort of close watchers of Sony and the gaming world, and, and they all seem to think that a, a PlayStation 5 Pro is coming out this year. Now, PlayStation's about... Three years, just over three years old now, PS5, sorry. Um, and so Sony executive on a recent earnings call admitted that it's entering the latter stages of its life cycle. Sony had to cut its forecast for sales of the PlayStation 5 in its, its fiscal year to the end of March um, because it didn't, demand didn't quite live up Did, to what didn't it thought. Ma- didn't make this, have as many sales as yeah. it 
anticipate it. Yeah, and look, we saw this with the PlayStation 4, the last generation. They bought out a PS4 Pro to try to reinvigorate sales. And, and, and why they might bring one out this year? Well, there's a big game coming out next year, and that's Grand Theft Auto 6. Uh, hotly anticipated, one of the probably the most hotly anticipated game of this decade um, is coming out. And so could make sense to bring a new piece of hardware out just as this game's going to come out to um, and sync up and, and hopefully refresh some of the interest for Sony anyway on the PS5 and the console. Do you, do you think that the, the sort of underwhelming sales are because the competition is much greater in the gaming market now? I think I think partly. It's an expensive console as well. Right. How, know, how much are we... I think it's about 500 Dollars. Okay. Um, it's not. It's not a cheap console, no. um, and you know they're still on track. They're saying to sell twenty-one million units this year. It's not a. That's no number to be to be sort of sniffed at. And one of the things, bigger things, that's happening in the gaming industry is that they're trying to move to more of an Apple model, right? Where yes, you sell the hardware, fine, but actually it's the software where the real big margins are and where you can continue to keep players hooked. So, yes, you know, you might buy a PlayStation sort of three years ago, PS5, but you're still going to buy games. Like, you're still going to buy Grand Theft Auto 6 when it comes out, and you're still going to spend money on those games and all the extra services that you add on, such as PlayStation subscription service. And, and as we move towards the future, all these companies are talking about cloud gaming, this ability which is effectively, you know, Netflix for gaming, stream games uh, for a subscription. And that's a recurring revenue. So there is a shift happening in the gaming industry more broadly away from just we sell you a hardware and then we sell you a disc that you put into that hardware and then that's kind of it to more of recurring revenue and, and subscriptions and, and various other things too. We were also going to talk uh, briefly about the quite uh, recent news that um, national enforcement agencies, including the likes of the US and the UK and other countries, um, have been able to sort of hack into Lockbit's own website. Tell us a little bit about Lockbit. Ransomware is this sort of uh, virus which effectively, once it infects your computer, it takes your files, locks them up, encrypts them, and then the gang who did it, or the, the attacker, says to you, hey, send me a um, million dollars of Bitcoin and I'll give you files back. Uh, and that's effectively what it does. It holds your data for, rans- for ransom and then asks, you know, they ask you to pay up to get it back. Um, and Lockbit is a ransomware as a service gang. And we spoke about this on the episode. One of the really interesting things that's happened with hackers is they're professionalized. They've got you know, support staff. And now they've got this model where they're, they're, they're developing ransomware and selling it off. So if you went on the dark web and you're like, right, I really fancy carrying out a ransomware attack today. You know, you go to one of these services and you say, I need some ransomware. You buy the ransomware and there's various different business models for it. Uh, and then you go out and carry the attack. The barrier to entry is a lot lower. Um, and so that's what we know about Lockbit. Um, you know, their leader uh, goes online on the dark web by the name LockbitSup. Um I think that's supposed to be like support, not like WhatsApp. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I'm not. You don't know that for sure, though. It you don't be. know that for sure. You are right. Um, it's, it's very clever wordplay, I suspect. Um, the group claims to be located in the Netherlands. Um, in June, the US Department of Justice charged a Russian national for his involvement in, quote, deploying numerous Lockbit ransomware and other cyber attacks. Also, didn't it originate in Russia? So, supposedly. So, the difficulty with cybercrime is because of the techniques they use to obfuscate their locations, you know, VPNs and whatever else, it's very difficult to attribute always an attack to a location, right? I could, you know, I could be in um, 
I, I could be in the UK, which I am, and, and sort of carry out cyber attack, which is in the French language, mm. right? And you say, oh, mate, are, are these French mm. hackers? Or mm. So these kind of things all add to the, to the, the difficulty mystery, the in really trying to nail yeah. down where they're from. Um, there has been speculation that there are links to Russia, not necessarily the Russian government, but to people based in Russia. Um, but yeah, that's that's what Lockbit is. Um, it's a, it's probably at the moment one of the most notorious ransomware gangs out there. Uh, and so, you know, if if these law enforcement agents around the world have managed to sort of fight back, that's a huge deal. Huge deal. It was a good news story, which is which is nice to hear. Yeah. Because um, we did speak about the fact that these things are very hard to police and, you know, the amount of hacking, financial crime that, you know, happens online is ridiculous. And the the, the ability to put a stop to it is, is uh, difficult. But, you know, clearly there is some progress being made, which is great. I just want to touch on Sora quickly before we go. The new AI tool uh, created by... OpenAI. I think lots of our uh, listeners would have watched videos uh, on social media that OpenAI put out. And essentially, it's a tool which you write 100 words describing a scene that you want the AI tool to then create uh, in a video form. I saw the videos. I don't know if you've seen them, but they were pretty impressive. Quite impressive. And scary. Yeah. (laughs) Why is it always scary? No one likes change. No one likes change. Uh, But yeah. Um, Very impressive. Isn't it? Yeah. But I, I thought, wow. Yeah. Um, lots of great possibilities. You know, they were talking about things like generating video game scenes and, and various, lots of great things for content. Uh, lots of risk, of course, mm-hmm. deep fakes, yeah. made up videos, et cetera, et cetera. And that's going to be the challenge here. Yeah. Interest, super interesting. It was always going this way. Yeah. Um, m- maybe nobody thought it that quick, but it was going that way, policing it. Yeah. One thing I did actually want to mention uh, from my holiday was uh, on the plane, I watched uh, The Creator. Have you seen it? I've not, no. Oh, Argent. Oh, good. Argent, Argent. It'd be right up your straws. Right. Um, it is, it, I actually really enjoyed it. Um, you know, it's not, probably not for everyone, quite a lot of action, but I'm sure you'd probably be into that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> violence, uh, basically. Um, but uh, yeah, it's got. Um, John David Washington um, in it, uh, and he's the lead. Um, but essentially, it's futuristic, sort of twenty seventy five, I think it is. And the an AI, or supposedly um, an AI uh, robot or system, has um, set off a nuclear bomb. And that's the sort of start of the film. So I don't want to give anything away. But uh, essentially, the. All. the, the <laughs> It's the start. Uh, uh, Essentially, the West are um, hunting the AI, any AI, and they're very anti it. And Asia, or New Asia, as this new world, this new country has been created, um, is pro AI and sort of embraced it and lives alongside it. Um, And this is more of the uh, iRobot sort of AI that we're not. We're not talking about chatbots. We're talking about you know physical looking. They look like humans. Yeah. Um, but the thing that really, you know, watch the film and we can talk about it another episode. But the thing that really I found interesting was how the movie examines the sort of philosophical debate um, around whether artificial intelligence can be truly sentient. And the, the, the line that keeps coming back is they're not people, it's just programming. But I don't know, it really changed my thought process on AI and 
when we talk about programming, we're programmed by our parents. You know, they're our creators. We've taken it at external, you know, forces that have sort of, you know, made you Arjun or and your thoughts and your your ideas on on life. And what why is AI any different? You know, someone programs their own thoughts, their own ideas into that AI. You know. Yeah, it's. It, I mean, it was it's, really interesting. That's really interesting. No, it's a good thought. I think one of the. I feel like one of the big differences with AI is. But you're right. That analogy with humans does make sense as well because you know the the the, the big warnings about AI is what if AI goes off the rails? Yeah, you might teach it to be really good, but what if the training algorithm goes wrong? And who's responsible? Yeah, but it would be the creator who creates the AI ultimately, and you know parents are responsible for their children yeah. up to a point That's you it. know but that so there is always response someone responsible yeah. for i let, watch watch the film i i think you'll really really enjoy it yeah. uh before we finish stat of the week the stat of the week was 349.4 billion us dollars i wanted to say the value of asml but I think maybe it's more the microchip industry ish. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's the value of um, integrated circuits, i.e., chips, right? Imported by China last okay. year. Okay. Um, now, one of the interesting things about that, it's a huge number, right? Three hundred forty-nine point four billion dollars. Yeah. That was down fifteen point four percent, the sharpest fall since their records began. Um, in the early 2000s. And that's partly due to the, to the weakness of the global chip market um, last year, but also all those export curbs. What can you, you can't import stuff if no one's going to sell it to you, right? Mm. So um, that that was interesting, I thought. Okay, that is interesting. I, I haven't really done very well with Stat of the Week for the last few weeks, so if you could just make it a little bit easier next Yeah, time, maybe next great. year. Um, <laughs> next year? I mean, month. No, week. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where I'm at. <laughs> like I said, next week we're going to be at the biggest mobile industry. Well, you show. will be, but I'll I be will. talking to you from from yeah. from there. So there's going to be, be very some exciting. things there. Um, yeah. AI phones is the thing. Yeah, so uh, that will be the so, focus. So my probably. job between now and and next week's episode and my expedition out to Barcelona is to figure out what AI phone means. Okay, and that that will probably be this central point of our episode next week then great very exciting all right that's it for this episode but uh, before we go please follow and subscribe to the show and rate us and as we mentioned at the beginning of the episode there may be something in it for you maybe some merch in it if you do want to email us then uh, the email address is beyond the valley at cnbc.com and we will respond to any questions or queries we have on the podcast all right thank you arjun thanks tom We'll be back next week for another episode of Beyond the Valley. Goodbye. Beyond the Valley.